This is going to be a little bit of a challenging episode for me to talk about today because I am uh, sharing something somewhat personal and <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, but it's not. It's just, it's it's hard. Anyway, what's happened in my life is that I, uh, for the past 26 years, have been a member of a religion, a high-demand religion called Mormonism. I live in Utah, and uh, in Utah, the majority of the population is a member of the church, and so it's a very strong presence here. Anyway, I did not grow up in the church. I joined when I was 17. I had a couple missionaries knock on my door, and you know, I fell in love with their excitement, and I went to church with them a few times, and I found that it was a very family-focused uh, environment. I loved that. I ended up getting baptized, and then I went on a mission, and I taught other people this message. I went to England for two years. I left my home country, and that was a big, scary thing. When I got home, I got married in the temple and had four kids and worked hard and essentially became the checklist member and did all of the things I was supposed to do. Well, I'm 43 now, and a few months ago, I decided to uh, step away from this religion, and that was challenging because... Well, it's hard to do that with anything in life. You know, if you are stepping away from a belief system where everybody you love and everybody you know is a part of, uh, it feels a little like you are betraying them, betraying yourself, betraying your community, betraying everything. And it's scary and it's challenging and it's terrifying, but I'm also so very grateful that I did it. So in this week's episode, I'm going to talk to you about why that happened, and I'm going to share with you three books from my reading this week that have really helped to ground me, help me find happiness, and all of these books come from my Yale philosophy course that I'm taking right now. We're in session three of that class. So let's jump into this, and I think we're going to have some fun today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Read Well Podcast. My name is Eddie Hood, and I'm your host, where I believe it's more important to read well than to be well-read. So grab your favorite book, open up your notes, and let's get ready to learn something fascinating. Hey, all, I hope you noticed that new song in our podcast. That is a brand new song. I had the opportunity to work with a professional musician to craft a new intro song for the show and for everything happening in the community. And I gave him the simple directive of the fact that we wanted a, the kind of song that would inspire intellectual thinking and also encourage people to sit down and read a great book. And you know what? Uh, I think he crushed it. He did just did a fantastic job. So. I'm just really proud of that song, and I hope you found it inspiring. The point of this week's episode is to talk about, well, human nature, really, and, and what philosophers might have called the divided soul. And we're going to talk about my divided soul and how things are being affected over here in Eddie Hood Town, because it is, um, you know, life is challenging and hard, but it's also beautiful and interesting at the same time. So, Let's jump into that, the three books, and then I'm going to give you some community updates that I am really proud of that I think you're going to love. The first book that has really helped me stay grounded in this transition of my life is a book called The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt. Now, he is an alumnus of Yale University and has really written quite a fantastic book. It's a contemporary book, so it's easy to read, but it is done so well, I think you'll enjoy it if you decide to dig into this one. 
Haidt's goal is to explain how the soul is divided, and he has divided it into two, well, he actually divides it multiple ways, but his main uh, analogy here is to divide the soul in two ways, between reason and emotion. And he does that with the picture in your mind of a small human being <laughs> riding atop a large elephant. The way this analogy goes is that the human being up top is your reason, and your reason is smart, intelligent, logical, knows what it should and should not do, and so on, and has the reins in its hands, and is you know steering the elephant left or right and trying to coax it to do things. Well, the elephant is your passion. It is the stuff that makes you interesting, neurotic, <laughs> unpredictable. Uh, so we all have passions, whether uh, you are addicted to shopping or staying up late when you know you should go to bed because you got to work in the morning, or maybe you eat four cupcakes when you should only have one or zero cupcakes. You get the idea. You have elephants in your life, and the idea here is, is that this big lumbering thing of passion that is you really sometimes has a mind of its own. So your reason sits atop this thing and it is trying to guide it left or right. Now, if the rider tugs on the reins and says, hey, let's go left, you know, more often than not, the elephant's gonna go, yeah, okay, whatever. And it's gonna lumber over to the left side of the field and graze on the grass. But you know what? There are times where that lumber says, screw you reason, I'm gonna go right. And it just goes right. And there's not a whole lot you can do. You're tugging and tugging and tugging, but sometimes that elephant just wants to go over there and explore and see what's going on. The whole point of this story is to flip your idea of decision-making and self-control on its head. You're taught as a human being that you're supposed to be logical and rational. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you, you're broken. If you choose the wrong choice, you are a bad person and you should be punished. But what Hate's trying to say is, you know what? You're actually made of emotion and passion. And the moment you acknowledge that and you accept it and you learn to work with it, you can not only give better guidance to your passions, but you can have a say in what's going on. But pretending like there's no elephant under you, pretending like you're all just, you know, black and white, you're gonna live a life of hardness and misery, and, you know, it's gonna feel like just discordant. The second book that I read this week is one of Plato's dialogues. It's a dialogue called Phaedrus. And in Phaedrus, this is a dialogue between Plato's teacher Socrates and a man named Phaedrus. And the analogy here is what's called Plato's charioteer or Plato's chariot. This one meant a lot to me because it really helped me identify with sort of what happens inside me on a day-to-day -day basis with my emotions, with those elephants, right? So in this story, you've got a charioteer who is holding onto the reins again, and he represents or she represents, whatever, uh, your reason, much like the rider atop the elephant, so no difference there. But the reins are attached to two separate horses. The first horse represents your spirit or your honor. This is a beautiful horse. It stands tall, it's regal, its coat is brushed, its teeth are perfect. It does whatever you ask of it on command by word alone. You don't have to whip it, you don't have to goad it, nothing. It just is a great horse. And this represents the desires you have to wake up early and to read more books and to clean your house and to be you know, self-disciplined. This is the horse we want everybody to see. 
I'm sure you can only guess what the other horse looks like. This is the horse of your appetites. Plato used the word appetite, but it's all the ugly stuff that you don't want people to see, right? This horse itself is disastrous. It looks monstrous. It's got like misshapen eyes. Its teeth are poking out everywhere. Its hair stands on end. Its limbs look like they're broken when it walks. And it struggles against everything. It fights and kicks and moans and spits. And it just is a horrible thing. The charioteer really struggles to control this thing. He whips it, he hits it with a goad, he yells at it. In fact, he calls it deaf as a post because no matter what he does, this horse pretty much just doesn't listen. So I will leave you to go read Phaedrus if you decide you wanna know what this charioteer is up to and why he's trying to control all these horses. But for purposes of this podcast, I wanted you to understand how Plato defines your soul. He divides it up into three parts. Again, reason, spirit or honor, and appetites. So this is just a fascinating thing. For thousands of years, we as humans have known that we are conflicted beings, and that is an interesting thing to consider. The third book is Sigmund Freud's The Ego and the Id, which is fascinating because I just went and watched a movie called Freud's Last Session, which I highly recommend you go and watch. I think I talked about it in last week's podcast episode. I can't remember. Really, really good show. And uh, anyway, this book is called The Ego and the Id, and it's very thin, but what it does is it goes over Freud's idea of the division of human souls. This is his version of this stuff. Now, most of Freud's ideas have been disproven, but his work is still foundational to how we approach therapy today and the mental mind. Now, he is the original founder and grandfather of psychoanalysis, so what he has to say really comes with some weight. In Freud's world, there are three divisions, the id, the ego, and the superego. And I'm going to use another analogy here to explain this because for years I've tried to understand these terms. I, I never really studied them purposefully until this week because I had to, because of the L course, I had to learn them. But even after doing all the reading, I was still a little confused. So I found a really great analogy that I'll share with you to explain this. So for Freud, you have an ego, and your ego is your current consciousness. It is the thing that interfaces with your reality. So right now, your ego is what's paying attention to this podcast. It's, it's where your brain's at. Hopefully, you're listening to this podcast and paying attention. If you're not, what are you doing? Anyway, that's your ego. Now, our, we're going to create an analogy here, like I said, and we're going to go right back to controlling animals, because that's a really great way to think of this stuff, this contention of human soul. But this time, we're not driving a chariot. We're not driving an elephant. We're just going to be driving a stagecoach. Think about like the olden days, you'd have a stagecoach. There'd be a person sitting up on top with the reins and some horses. Well, the person driving the stagecoach is your ego. That's reason. That's ego. That's the consciousness. That's the thing in control. And I, I should point out that Freud's ego is not always exactly the same as Plato's uh, reason and so on, but you kind of get the idea. It's the thing making the decisions or trying to make the decisions at least, right? Now, Freud also has something called the id, and the id is your appetites. This is the passion part. This is akin to the elephant or the ugly horse, right? With Freud, you have the id, and in our analogy here, our stagecoach driver is it has two really ugly, awful horses <laughs> up front. And I say two because uh, Freud often felt that 
this shadowy part of your life that you don't want people to know about, this subconscious stuff that's repressed, that's even hidden to you, right? You don't even know it's there, but it comes out in, in shapes and sizes that just surprise you at times because you're triggered. He felt that the, the impetus of those were really either sexual or violent passions. And we were always trying to repress those, right? So that we could fit into society and, and be good little boys and girls. But for Freud, we had these really two ugly, nasty things deep down inside. And these are the two ugly horses on our stagecoach. Well, here comes my favorite part. That is the super ego. And this is the thing that has helped me most this week to understand what I'm going through in my own personal life with this religious context and trying to understand my own worldviews and who I am and what I believe in for myself. The superego describes your connection to your culture and your society. It is the rules that you've been exposed to ever since you were a little boy or a little girl that have come from your parents, from your teachers, from your religion, from your government, from just the neighborhood playgroups that you've been in. These are the things that you've learned. These are the expectations of society. I do think it's interesting that we all live in different societies with different societal norms, which means we all are dealing with different kinds of superegos. Now, in the analogy, this is the best part. So we've got reason who's driving the, the stagecoach. We've got the id, which is the, the sexual and the violent passions running amok. You're trying to control all this stuff and live your normal life. Now, again, whether you agree with this or not, I don't know, but this is just Freud's thing, right? This is why a lot of this stuff's been disproven because we have more to us than just sexual and violent behavior, right? But stick with me. So when we add the superego, this is the fascinating bit because in the analogy, this is like having your father sitting in the stagecoach behind you while you're driving. And your father's just sitting there with his arms crossed and he's kind of got his brow furrowed and he's lecturing you the whole time telling you about all the stuff you're doing wrong as a stagecoach driver. <laughs> I love this so much. This, this imagery is so apt because I think we can all identify with this. We're trying to live our lives, but there is this stinking voice in the back of our heads that won't leave us alone, that is constantly telling us we're not good enough, or we should be ashamed of something, or we should hide things, or we should whatever. And it's because of this super ego thing. Now, these ideas, like I say, come from other people and they're branded into our brains and they are really, really, really hard, first of all, to escape from, but even more so to know that they're there. Hey everyone, I wanna take just a quick second in the middle of this podcast to tell you about Highlightish.com. Think of highlighting a book, but add I-S-H at the end. Highlightish.com is the tool that I use to make better book notes and to organize my writing. It's where I go to capture my favorite passages, annotate them, and then to turn that research into essays, blog posts, or research papers. If you're someone that wants to get more out of the books that you love and you wanna turn that into great output, go to Highlightish.com today. Thanks for listening and let's get back to the show. So connecting with those three books this week has been really helpful for me, and I'm going to bring this back around to how it's affected me as a human being who is, for the first time in his life, trying to think on his own two feet rather than turning to a, an organization and saying, what should I do here? What am I supposed to believe? How am I supposed to act? Uh, and I think if we look at our own lives, I think we all have these organizations or people we turn to. And I say it can be quite scary to question those voices because we've trusted them for so long. But this is why I love reading. I think reading, the greatest gift that we get from a book is that we are exposed to other people's beliefs, other people's viewpoints. 
We get to learn things we didn't know existed. We are open in our eyes. And this is what's happened to me as I've begun reading. It, uh, the more books I read, the more questions I have. And that is such a healthy thing. My books have taught me to question my religion. They've taught me to question everything. And I think that's why I've gotten so attached to philosophy, because philosophy really is the art of asking critical questions and starting from scratch going, you know what? I need to question everything I thought was true first. So, dear listener, that's where I'm at in life. And I just, I, I you know, I, like I pointed out, this has been a challenging episode for me to make because I, I am worried that people that I love and care about, my friends and family and my community, are going to listen to this and they're going to judge me and it's going to be weird and awkward and all of that stuff. And while that happens, I, I want you and I want them to know that I am so incredibly happy where I'm at right now. Not because I'm out running amok and doing things I shouldn't be doing. That's not that's not really interesting, right? Like, I don't want to go out and do drugs now. You know, drugs are not allowed in the Mormon church. I don't have any desire to do that. But what is bringing me joy and happiness is the fact that I don't have this governing body in my brain that says what I can and can't do. I just get to face it with my own questioning and say, geez, Eddie, I don't know, what do you believe in? So that's a pretty freeing thing. All right, let's jump into the community updates real fast. I am really proud to tell you that I have just launched a new community for all of us. This is our new home online, and we have people joining daily. These are people that love reading slowly, taking notes, and applying the ideas. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to go to thereadwellpodcast.com, and then up in the navigation, you'll see the word community. Just click on that, and it'll drive you right there. If you have any familiarity with a community device called Circle, that's what I'm using. This is a Circle community, and it's just been wonderful because we have a place there where we're chatting about fiction books and nonfiction books, and people are making book recommendations, and there's just a lot of great things happening there. And it's it's private. It's our home, right? It's not Facebook. It's not all this other big conglomerate garbage. It's just us, and it's a beautiful thing. Now, I do have uh, a paid membership there as well. So for people who uh, currently it's $15 a month, which I hope isn't too bad. I don't know. You'll have to let me know. But for people who are willing to help support that community, I've got a whole bunch of other stuff too. So I do live book clubs every week where we're talking about great works like Dostoevsky and Dickens and all of this great stuff. I've got live events that I'm going to be hosting, book notes and lectures, and I'm just about to release a reading challenge, and there will be many more of these, but it's a 30-day reading challenge I'm calling the 30-Day Focused Reader. So what this is, is if you uh, take it, it's a daily video lesson along with some small assignments that you do in order to train your brain to stay focused while you're reading a book. So if you ever feel like your mind is just wandering and you can't dig into a book, it's almost like you've forgotten how to relax <laughs> or think or learn because you're so distracted with phones and everything else. Then this is that's what this is. This is a, really a challenge that we're doing together. And you do it at your own pace. This one, this is not a live event. You start it whenever you want. You end it whenever you want. But that's in the community if you're interested. So that's the current community update. And if you found this episode helpful, I would love for you to share it with a friend, especially somebody who is trying to discover life for themselves, you know. I would ask yourself, what is it that you have learned in your years of living, whether you're 10 years old or 90 years old, that has helped you learn to think for yourself? Now, I'm 43 years old, and uh, just last September, I decided to start thinking for myself, and it has been 
like I said, challenging and scary and exciting. And uh, I, I would just love to hear your perspective on that. So, but if you know of anybody out there who could hear this message or would benefit from it, please feel free to um, pass this episode along and let them know that we care. I want to thank you for listening. It's just such an honor to be here with you and to be able to talk about books in a society that doesn't always appreciate reading so much anymore. I'm just so grateful for the people that do, for the people that are supporting local bookstores and just take a book with them everywhere they go. So until next week, remember to read slowly, to take notes, and to apply the ideas. Thanks, everyone. I'll see you next week. If you'd like to take your reading to the next level, then head on over to our website at thereadwellpodcast.com. There you can get access to my weekly newsletter as well as up-to-date show information. Also, don't forget that I learned software development on the side just so that I could build a program to help us make better book notes as we read. If you're interested, go to highlightish.com. Think of highlighting a book, but add ish, I-S-H, at the end. Highlightish.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next show.